Well, it is good to be with you again, and I really just want to jump right back in because um, I, you know, I was gone two weeks ago. We had the Kids Quest last week, and get ready. I'm ready to preach today. Here we go. It's been a while. We've been in, in the Gospel of Mark for this entire year, and that's where we're going to be again in Mark chapter 8. But if, if you haven't picked up on a few themes, boy, you've you got to hear this. The themes that we have in the Gospel of Mark, the big question Mark has is, who is Jesus? Mark is addressing this time and time again with the stories he's sharing, with the people he is introducing and spending time on. Every question or every circumstance is different people dealing with the idea of who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Who, what is he? And, and it's not even just people, but we see the wind and the waves submit to Jesus and obey Jesus. The demons and the unclean spirits acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Sickness and disease and even death obey Jesus. His disciples are amazed as they're watching this. They don't always understand, but they are amazed. The crowds are enamored and follow him wherever he goes. Even Herod is at least interested in who this Jesus guy is. The Pharisees are intimidated and they are even threatened by Jesus, but also the hungry are fed, and the deaf can hear, and the blind can see, and the lame can walk. So many different people are encountering Jesus in some way, and Mark is focused on each one of them discovering who Jesus is. And so now we're coming to the center of this book, and what, what begins to shape, here's the big part, the, the confrontation of this question, who is Jesus? In the next several weeks, we're going to wrestle with that, and we're going to deal with that, and the question is going to be answered. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22 this morning. Two stories, one message. Mark loves to do this. Two stories, one message. Let's enjoy both of these stories. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees, only they're walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. He looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored, and he could see everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, And what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, and then after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and, scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts but human thoughts. Two stories, and I would submit to you one message, even though these are strange stories. There is 
some common ground here and there's some things we can take away from both of them, a few things here. The first, it's a detail Mark includes that, that the people brought this blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him and heal him, verse 22. And then it says, taking the blind man's hand, Jesus did that. Jesus led him out of the village. And we've gone over this in previous stories in the Gospel of Mark, but in case you missed it, the Old Testament is full of these stories of things that make God's people unclean. And there are, and, and, and there are some passages that, if, if I'm being honest, might put you to sleep <laughs> if you're reading some of the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. And we read those and think, boy, those, uh, what do those mean for us today? What they are is descriptions of what would make the people of God in this time unclean. And unclean is not necessarily sinful. It's not necessarily wrongdoing. But it is ways in which you become in a state of uncleanliness and therefore cannot go into the holy presence of God or cannot participate in the worship uh, that the people are doing, worshiping God. That is, it's this state, and once you are made unclean, you need to deal with your unclean state in some way to become clean again. And so... It's not a state you want to remain in. If you find yourself unclean, you need to do what you need to do to become clean again, ritualistically you know, purified. So if you, for example, touch a dead body, it's not a sin, but you're unclean. Or if you come into contact with the wrong kind of animal, or even like if a woman you know, gives childbirth, that's not wrong, but it is a state of uncleanliness, and there's a period of time and some ritual things in the Old Testament that you would have to do to, become, or to be deemed clean again. So one way in particular to become unclean was to touch someone who was unclean. So in the Old Testament, and I'm simplifying it here, but if something that was clean meets something that was unclean, the unclean then becomes clean. <laughs> or the, 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 the unclean spreads to the clean. The unclean makes the clean thing unclean, okay? I know, that's confusing. Hopefully I, that, that was a, we got there, right? But Mark, in his gospel in here in verse 23, Jesus is clean. Jesus is the clean one. And yet there are people who have diseases and people who are sick or people who are deaf or blind. There's uncleanness. And remember, if something clean touches something unclean, the clean thing becomes unclean in the Old Testament. But what we're seeing here from Mark time and time again is Jesus reaches out and touches that which is unclean. And it is not Jesus who is changed. It is that which is unclean is now changed, is now made clean. Oh, Mark, he's, he's calling back to the Old Testament saying, no, 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 no. It's not the unclean makes everything unclean. It's the clean one is Jesus can take what is unclean and make it clean. It is beautiful. And so... The point here for us today, I think, it, it does not matter how unclean you are. It does not matter the state you are in. It does not even matter the sins of your past or the mistakes you have made. You can't get Jesus dirty. But Jesus can get you clean. Okay? We have to know that and we have to understand that. You can bring your baggage, your burdens, your sin, your garbage and your, what we might say in the South, your hot mess. Are you a hot mess today? If, if you're a hot mess today, we can bring that before the Lord. And Jesus can clean and cleanse your life. 
If we give it over to Jesus, he can deliver you from evil. He can save you from sin. He can clean up your mess. Jesus can bring healing and forgiveness and cleanse your life. But the story then continues, and it's a weird story. There's no other story like it in the Gospels. Of You almost wonder, did Jesus mess up the first time around? What happened here? It it's almost kind of cracks me up. Because it seems like Jesus messes up at first. It's almost like he needs a redo. He needs a second chance. Because he tries to heal this guy. He spits on his eyes. Weird, weird thing. I, if a doctor came, eye doctor did that to me, like spit on my eye. No, wouldn't, wouldn't like that. I, and it's been a while since I went to the eye doctor, but you know, I, I need contacts, so I go to the eye doctor, and they do this, this air puff test on your eyes. And it's, I'm presuming, it's clean air. It's a machine, and it's got this, you know, and, and they, they don't even warn you. It's just pow, and you know, it's air. All it is is air, but boom, right in your eyes. And you, you perfectly sighted people. It's, yeah, whatever. You won't get this, and that's fine. You're, you have no problems in life. But for me, for us who can't see, it's poof. I can't imagine someone spitting on my eyes, and especially if you're blind. You're not, you don't know what's coming. <laughs> what? What a weird thing to do. And then the man looked up, verse 24, and said, I see people. They look like trees, only they're walking around. That's... Strange. There's actually a movie that came out uh, in, in 1977. And so when I was a kid, I was born in the 80s. And, and man, I thought this was such a cool movie because it was a mix of animation and real people. And it, it, it was, it was this, this cool mix. It was called Pete's Dragon. And in this movie, Pete's Dragon, like the dragon is a cartoon. It's an animated thing. But the rest of the movie is, you know, just live action. And there's since been a remake of this movie, and I'm not seeing the remake, the newer one, but my kids have discovered the old version, the 1977 version. We've watched it together. And, and there's this one scene in the movie where this traveling salesman come in, comes into town. And traveling salesman is a kind way to put it. He's like a snake oil salesman. He, he's looking to, to, to make a quick buck and then get out of there before anybody realizes what he's doing. But there's, in this scene, he comes into this town, and this town is called Passamaquoddy. Passamaquoddy is the name of this town. And this salesman has a hard time getting that right. He cannot pronounce it. He cannot get it right. It's Passamaquoddy, and he struggles. But I'm going to show this clip uh, from this movie of, of this traveling salesman who comes into town, and he's making some pretty big claims, okay? And it turns out he's got an assistant who's kind of helping him, but there's... there's talk of miracles and there's talk of there's some really big promises being made. So let's just do about a three minute clip. Let's watch this. This is from the movie Pete's Dragon. Oh doctor! Oh doctor! Oh doctor, doctor, help me! I hear someone! I hear someone calling me! Someone in need! A human being crying out to another great human being for a service only I can provide. Madam! Dr. Terminus is here to cure you. Eh? What's your problem, lady? Eh? How can I turn my back to such a dear woman? It's the humanity in me.
children giggling. I hear coins jingling. That'll be exactly one dollar, madam. Fifty cents an ear. Oh, bless you, doctor. I can hear. I can hear. My medicine cured her, folks. Did you hear her bless me? Well, I bless her, too. How wonderful I feel right here in my heart. Honnissoir, qui mal Shamed be he who thinks evil of it. And that's what the medical business is all about, folks. People helping people. You should all have help. Gadzooks, what have we here? Oh, doctor, doctor, doctor. All I'm asking for is a miracle. All he wants is a miracle, folks. How can I deny him? If he's willing to pay for it, he's gonna get it. Any price. One dollar, sir. Funniest scenes for me in that, in that clip we just, you know, showed is when I was a kid was this assistant dressed up like an old lady, and I hear birds chirping. <laughs> it's not a single bird. <laughs> There's no sound of a bird. I hear children laughing or giggling. Blah. You know, all these get is a kid sticking his tongue out at him. All he wants is a miracle, folks. How can I deny him if he's willing to pay for it? It's this fascinating story of this man who comes in promising miracles and wanting the attention and wanting to make a quick buck and tricking people, deceiving people, putting on a show. We have this story now in Mark, and we're going to come back to that scene in just a little bit, but, but Jesus comes to town. He's not selling anything. He's not making any grand promises of health or well-being. In fact, in verse 23, he grabs this guy and takes him out of the village, takes him away from others who might see what's going on, because Jesus doesn't want that attention. He's not trying to draw a crowd. 
But he does try to heal this guy, and Jesus says in verse 23, do you see anything? And I almost picture, I hear birds chirping, and no, no. And, and, but, but what he says is, I, I see people, they look like trees, only they're walking around. What? Did Jesus just mess up right there? Did he get it wrong? Was his spit not the right miraculous formula? <laughs> Did his trick backfire in some way? And no, I, I don't think so. Because Jesus does go on to set this man's vision right. He went from blind to seeing something to seeing clearly. Now, was the blind man better off seeing people as trees moving? Well, I suppose that's better than nothing. If I were to take my contacts out right now and cast them aside, that is what I would see. I would see blurry objects moving around, and I, I would just pray that you would stay in the room because I wouldn't be sure. Because <laughs> my eyesight, it's, it's just, it's a, the, the vision's not quite there without corrective lenses for me. But Jesus, it's not enough for the blind man to see something. Jesus wants him to see clearly. I hope you're picking up this is more than a story about a blind man, about restored sight. It's not enough for the blind man to see something. Jesus wanted him to see clearly. So if we fully understand what's going on here, we have to look at this next story that Mark has paired up with this one. The story continues. Jesus grabs his disciples and he asks, who do people say that I am in verse 27? Who do people say that I am? And the answers start coming. And you know what? These are some pretty good people to be compared to. John the Baptist, Elijah, some other prophet. You know what? That's better than nothing. That's better than not knowing Jesus at all comparing him to great prophets of old. In fact, there are some prophecies, I believe it's in Malachi, that would say, Elijah will come. The spirit of Elijah will come. We sing, these are the days of Elijah. That Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, was to come to signal what's happening is God is going to come to set things right. And so, hey, that's better than nothing to be compared to these these great men of the past, it's, they're seeing something, but it's not quite right. The question is, what about you? Jesus asked that question. There are others who think they know who Jesus is. They think they've got him pegged. They think they've got the comparison down. But what about you, verse 29? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, and Peter gets it right. Peter says, you are the Christ. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not a last name. Christ is a title. Christ is something that was anticipated in the Old Testament. God had promised through the hardship, through the persecution, through the captivity of God's people in the Old Testament, God had said, I am sending a Savior, a Messiah, Someone who will come and set things right. And he will be the Christ. And Peter, with this language right here, declares the truth that that's who Jesus is. Jesus, you are the Christ. Peter's not just seeing something. He's not just seeing it blurry. People are like, 
kind of like trees walking around. Peter sees in this moment clearly Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the one who has come to set things right. Church family, you will never see this world clearly unless you come to see Jesus as the Savior of the world. What we have in our world today is those who would say, Jesus is a good person. Man, he's got, a, he's got some good teaching, and if you live according to his teachings, you're doing okay. Or, or Jesus is, is just a good guy, or was a good miracle worker, or was a good leader. His, he's got some great leadership skills we can, we can learn from. But Jesus is not just a good person. He's not just a prophet or a teacher. He's not just someone just to sing a song about once a week, or someone to send up a prayer when I've got no other options. When I've hit rock bottom, then, then maybe I'll, I'll consider Jesus. He's more than just the man upstairs. Jesus is not just one option among many options for us in our lives today. Jesus is the Savior of the world. We would say it this way, on Christ the solid rock I stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. And church family, I'd love to stop right there. I'm tempted to stop right there. Because that's a powerful message that we need today. And sing a song, celebrate the Savior, we'll do communion in a little bit, then go about our day. That Jesus is the Savior. Awesome. Good message. But I cannot stop because the story doesn't stop. And if you thought seeing people as trees that are walking around is weird, look what Jesus is about to say coming up here. It takes an ugly turn. Verse 31, then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, the legal experts, and be killed. And then after three days rise from the dead, he said this plainly, but Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Whoa. That seems harsh. We know Peter got it right. You are the Christ. Jesus is Christ. But then Peter got it very, very wrong. We would say about Peter, you know what, even a... What's, what's the saying? Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, you got one right. Even a broken clock gets it right twice in a day, right? But, but Peter, he, he got that one right, but there was something else that was off. He could not grasp the concept that Jesus was Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the one to come all, set all things right. He, Jesus was Messiah, and that's the concept. But Peter also had this just heard Jesus say it, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to die. Those two things don't sound like they match, right? How can you be the one, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah? How can you be the one that's coming to set all things right, but you're going to suffer, you're going to be rejected, you're going to die? And Peter in his mind says, Jesus, you're, you're this one, you're not this one. And what does Jesus say to that? Get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. I'm not a professional therapist, but I live with one. And a professional therapist, I think, would tell you, in, an, in, a, in a disagreement, 
where someone doesn't understand what you're saying, the proper response is not to call them Satan. Okay? Have you ever tried this strategy? I don't recommend it. Okay? Now, I'm not speaking from experience. Um, I'd be limping if I was, I think. But no, don't, don't call other people Satan. Gen- just a good general rule of thumb, okay? It seems like, is Jesus, are you overreacting? Is it what, what is going on here? Jesus calls this kind of skewed vision, he calls it Satan. What, what is he calling Satan here? Satan, and sometimes I'll, I'll use the phrase the enemy. The enemy is smart enough not to just tell deliberate lies or lies that are the exact opposite of the truth. No, the enemy in our world today, Satan today, deals in half-truths. And this is not new from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Eve is tempted God said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, 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 will, you will die. And, and the enemy, the, the tempter, comes in and, and says, did, did he really say that? And, and takes a little bit of the truth and, and twists it in a way. The enemy wants to take just a portion, just a half-truth, and twist it in ways that deceive. So... So the enemy here in this instance doesn't come up and say, Jesus is not the Savior. In fact, we have demons that say, yep, yep, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. But what we have is the enemy saying, he's the Christ. But the enemy says, let me redefine what that means. Let me try to tell you what that means. And that means that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, is going to maybe be the conquering hero, is maybe going to come with violence and with force and bring about God's kingdom that way. Or that Jesus is not going to suffer, not going to be rejected, not going to die. Satan is not in the business of telling the opposite of the truth. Satan will come in and take a bit of truth and twist that truth into something untrue. So Satan won't say, as again, Jesus is not the Christ. But he would say, Jesus is the Christ, and that means it's time to conquer the world by force. Go get your pitchfork, go get your gun, go get your sword. We're going to war for Jesus. And Jesus says to that, get behind me, Satan. Satan won't say, oh, the church is a bad place. But Satan would say, you know what, that church is, it's a great place for you to go and be entertained. To sit back, receive entertainment, maybe get to judge others for a little while, and stay around only as long as you feel entertained, Jesus would say, get behind me, Satan. Satan will not come to you and say, there is no purpose in life, it is all meaningless. Satan would come to you and say, the purpose of your life is to feel happiness or emotion or desire or consume or stockpile a bunch of stuff store it all up because the purpose is for you to feel safe and secure and satan would say you're defined by what you can obtain and how much you can obtain jesus would say get behind me satan 
I could keep going. I don't want to step on too many toes this morning, including my own, but what other examples do we have of Satan taking a half-truth, twisting it, and perverting it? We see this in our world today. God has given us, I'll give you the example of food. It is a blessing. Food is delicious, and it tastes good. But we can take that which is a blessing and use it in ways that bring about curse in our life, that, that bring about poor health and problems and become a burden for us. There are lifestyles. There are ways in which, which we, the way we treat our bodies, not just with, with food, but, but in other ways that, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. And when you say I'm free to do whatever I want, what it usually means is I'm free to walk into this trap that the world has for me the enemy wants for me. And once I freely walk into the enemy's trap, I have no freedom. It's a lie. It's a deception the enemy has. When God would stand up, Jesus would stand up and say, I have these teachings, I have these ways in which, these standards in which we're going to live, and they are going to allow you in your freedom to live in ways that do not bring captivity to your life, that do not bring enslavement, that do not bring, lead to addiction or the things that are going to trap you. You know, Peter got so caught up here in the first part of what Jesus was saying that he missed the last part. Did you catch that in verse 31? The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, legal experts, and be killed. And Peter says, no, there's no way. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You can't be rejected and killed. That's those, no, that, that can't be it. But did you catch what else Jesus said? Peter didn't. The last part of that statement that Jesus said in verse 31, and then after three days, rise from the dead. It was right there. It was right there. And we get so mixed up in our identity, who Jesus is or who he is not or, or whatever, we forget he has already won. Jesus, the Christ, will rise from the dead. That is not a half-truth. That is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. You know what another half-truth is? That Jesus looks a whole lot like the man up on the screen we saw a little bit earlier. If you just pay a little bit, you can get a miracle. That this just little thing, on demand, whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever problems you have. It's such a lie. It's all fake. It's not true. Now, can Jesus bring healing? Yep, did it right here. Can Jesus restore? Yes, he can. Whew. But it may be that Jesus is working in a way that we don't quite understand just yet in a way where we look and we see, and man, I, when I look out and see the world sometimes, it feels like it's a blurred mess. And it feels like, man, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. I, I think God is doing something, but I just don't know if I see it. And Mark comes to the midpoint in his gospel to share these stories, to proclaim what Jesus has been sharing all along. 
Jesus wants us to see clearly what he's doing. I pray that the Lord would give us the eyes to see not just something, but the eyes to see exactly what Jesus is doing in our world today. Jesus wanted the blind man not just to see, but to see clearly. And Jesus wants us not just to see, but to see clearly, to understand what he's doing and what he is doing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. This is part one. <laughs> you got to come back next week for part two because Jesus goes on and he explains what it means to follow in the ways of Christ, what it means to take up your cross, what it means moving forward. And it's not a snake oil salesman. It's not, you know, what, what happens then after he gets all that money? <laughs> they, those guys don't stick around for very much longer because you figure out the deception. But Jesus is not here to offer a quick fix or a temporary solution. That Jesus is going to do the hard work of going to the cross, suffering and dying for our sins so we can be fixed and made clean. Permanently, perfectly. And in that, it's why we celebrate communion. We have the Lord's Supper here today in which some of the most common things, the, the bread and the juice, become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus as a, as a symbol of the sacrifice. And to receive that today is to acknowledge, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I need that grace in my life today. You bow your heads with me. Lord, we want to see. And not just see something, we want to see clearly. And so I pray that you would grant for that grant that for us today. That as we receive these elements, would they be your grace in our lives that they may give us the eyes to see who you really are and what you're really doing in our world today. Bless us during this time. Bring us your grace. We pray these things in your name.